Sims, I want to invite you to stand with me as one of our graduates, Alexa, is going to read our scripture. And today she's going to be reading in Spanish and English. And this is the story of the Good Samaritan. So listen in the Spanish version for some words you recognize if you don't speak Spanish. And then she'll read it in English. Thank you, Alexa. He aquí un intérprete de la ley se levantó y dijo para probarle, Maestro, haciendo qué cosa heredaré la vida eterna. Él le dijo, ¿qué está escrito en la ley? ¿Cómo lees? Aquel respondiendo dijo, Amarás al Señor tu Dios con todo tu corazón y con toda tu alma y con todas tus fuerzas y con toda tu mente y a tu prójimo como a ti mismo. Y él le dijo, Bien has respondido, haz esto y vivirás. Pero él queriendo justificarse a sí mismo, dijo a Jesús, ¿Y quién es mi prójimo? Respondiendo Jesús, hombre de Jerusalén a Jericó, y cayó en manos de ladrones, los cuales le despojaron, hiriéndolo se fueron, dejándolo medio muerto. Aconteció que descendió un sacerdote por aquel camino, y viéndole pasó de largo. Asimismo, un levita, llegando cerca de aquel lugar, y viéndole pasó de largo. Pero un samaritano que iba de camino vino cerca de él, y, lo, y viéndolo fue movido a misericordia. Y acercándose, vendó sus heridas, echándoles aceite y vino. Y poniéndole en su cabalgadura, se llevó al mesón y cuidó de él. Otro día al partir sacó dos denarios y los dio al, meso, al mesonero y le dijo, cuídamele y todo lo que gastes de más, yo te lo pagaré cuando regrese. ¿Quién pues de estos tres te parece que fue el prójimo del que cayó en manos de los ladrones? Él dijo, el que usó de misericordia con él. Entonces Jesús le dijo, Ve y haz tú lo mismo. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, replied. he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly. Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then the man, then the man put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have had. Which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. 
This is the word of the Lord from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 30. Amen. Thank you, Alexa, and thank you. You may be seated. Well, as we think about our graduates today, and we think about the language we often use when we come to a Sunday like this to recognize the ending of one season of of life and the beginning of another, we often use words like and phrases like, life is a journey. And when we look at our own lives as journeys, if you're like me, You can look backwards, and hopefully you look backwards on your journey with thankfulness. But also, as you look backwards, you see some close calls, where some things could have been a lot worse than they ended up being, and you learned some really hard lessons along the way that hopefully help you make the right steps going forward. When I look back on my life, I see a lot of what I would call waypoints. Markers when I look back in my own story and I say this was a moment in life that left a mark on me And i've not been the same person since then And some of those waypoints some of those markers are really good things I look back on them and I have pleasant memories And some of those other waypoints I look back on them and not only do I not have pleasant memories But I think I hope I never have to go through something like that again But in any case, when we look backwards, we see those markers, those waypoints along the way, and our graduates are thinking about that, where they've been and where they've ended up today, but also looking forward to the journey that's ahead. And hopefully we pray that you're looking forward with expectancy and with excitement, but also with eyes wide open and with your heads up, because the journey ahead will be fraught with difficulty probably even more than you face to this point. And for all of us, we don't know what lies ahead, but we can look back on the journey that has brought us to this point and hopefully see that God's hand has been on us. And we pray that his hand will be on us as we continue to go forward. As you walk the road ahead, graduates, and as we do the same, may today we heed the example that Jesus gives us about walking a road Here in the last of our red letter texts, at least our last one for a little while that we will look at, the story of the Good Samaritan, a story from Scripture that even those who have never read the Bible are familiar with. And the term Good Samaritan has become a part of our culture and cultures all over the world. And when we hear the term Good Samaritan or even Samaritan, we think of someone who does good deeds or offers aid to someone else. But the reality is, as we will see for the Judean audience to whom Jesus was talking to, there was no such thing as a good Samaritan in their minds. And for Jesus to choose the Samaritan to be the one who actually lives out the commandments in the story was a surprise to say the least, because Samaritans were thought of as anything but good. But in this case... Jesus, as we've seen him do so often through his teaching, he confronts the hard-hearted attitudes that so many of us have and develop when we think of others oftentimes. And in this particular case, in this particular text, Jesus' teaching turns a lot of ideas upside down and on their head, all beginning with a question that he was asked. The first question that prompted this discussion and led to the parable that Jesus taught came from one who our text calls an expert in the law. We're just going to call him the lawyer today. 
And the lawyer on this occasion stood up and he asked Jesus this first question, not necessarily from the heart of a genuine seeker who was looking for an answer that might teach him, but instead he asked the question Luke tells us to test Jesus. Perhaps he had been hearing Jesus talking about what he asks him. He'd heard Jesus talking about the kingdom. He'd heard Jesus talking and teaching about repentance. He had heard Jesus talking and teaching about eternal life. And so he chose this as a topic to test him and to question him. And the first question that's asked is not a small question, right? Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This isn't a small question, it's a huge question. And if you don't know the answer in your own heart about what it is that leads to eternal life, I would say to you there is no more important question for you to answer and to settle today than that one. But inside this question, even though this man is a teacher of the law, an expert in the law, are a couple of inherent flaws, I would say. First of all, though, he addresses Jesus respectfully. He calls him rabbi. He calls him teacher. He asks, what must I do? As if there is some sort of action or some level of works, or we could stack up enough good things or enough actions that, that God would somehow be forced to let us in, to give us eternal life. The other question he asks is about inheriting. As if, as if a gift so great as eternal life that comes only through Jesus Christ, a gift from God through his grace and mercy, is something we could inherit either by our actions or by our pedigree. There are already some flaws in the question that Jesus has asked. And as we've seen him do so often in red-letter teaching, rather than answering the question directly, Jesus answers the question with a question, actually two. And a discussion ensued. Jesus responded, first of all, what is written in the law? You're a lawyer. You know the word. What is written in the law? And the second question, and how do you read it? And the lawyer answers very well, actually. He answers with the most often quoted scripture among the Hebrew people. If you were looking for a John 3.16 of the Old Testament, a scripture that almost everybody has memorized at some point in their life, if they've been in a religious setting, theirs would have been Deuteronomy 6, the text we call the Shema. And the lawyer quotes from the Shema, love the Lord your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. How do you read it, Jesus said? What's in the law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he quotes from Leviticus 18, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Jesus had obviously taught these two as the greatest commandments in all the law. So I imagine that the lawyer had been around at some point. He had heard Jesus teaching this way. And seeking to answer Jesus appropriately, he quoted Deuteronomy 6, Leviticus 19. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Wouldn't that be great, by the way, if Jesus asked you a question and you answered it and he said, you're right, you have answered correctly. But Jesus knew, as we also know, that knowing God's law and living God's law are two very different things. Even speaking God's law or saying amen to God's law and walking God's law, those are very different things. And so Jesus says to him, not only 
you have answered correctly, but also do this and you will live. You know the right answer. You can repeat the right answers, but do this, live this, walk this out, and you will live. But not satisfied with where the discussion had ended, the lawyer asked a second question. We might say he messed up and asked a second question. And Luke tells us that in his heart, the lawyer asked this question because he wanted to justify himself. And his question was simply, and who is my neighbor? Love your neighbor as yourself was the second command he had quoted. Jesus said, do this and you shall live. And to justify himself, the lawyer said, but who is my neighbor? When I think about that question, who is my neighbor, and the motivation to justify himself, I know that in my own heart, I've been guilty of doing the same thing. And you probably have too. For looking for some sort of a justification or reason why that person is exempt, or that type of person doesn't qualify, or that group of people, or them, or those people, or however we want to say it, that there's an exception to the rule, an exception to the law, an exception to the command. They don't deserve it. They've not earned it. They've disqualified themselves. I don't have to love that person as my neighbor. And who is my neighbor? Now that, in one sense, we can probably all sort of understand and we can sympathize with just from a general perspective. Where this gets really hard is when we think about our neighbor as our enemy. When we think about our neighbor as someone who has hurt us personally or hurt someone we love personally, when it's not just sort of that nebulous, those people are that kind of person, when, when that person has a face and they have a name and it's become personal, and yet we know in our hearts that the commandment to love our neighbor includes them too, that we would not live with bitterness and anger and resentment and hatred and malice in our hearts. And yet we too are tempted to say, but who is my neighbor? Lord, give me an exception to this command. To answer the lawyer's question of justification, Jesus told a parable for the ages. And we call this parable the parable of the Good Samaritan. But it could just as easily be called the parable of the man who was injured and dying on the road. Or it could be called the parable of the priest and the Levite who failed to live out the commandments of God. Jesus, as he began telling this story, we know this story as fiction. But to the original audience, it sounded all too real. Because Jesus talked about a road that was a very real road. And not only was the road from Jerusalem to Jericho a very real road, but it was fraught with very real danger. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down. When you went down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, it was a steep decline all the way down. He went down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. This road was not only a long and, and dipping road, but it was also surrounded by cliff sides and sharp, jagged turns. It was easy on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, which was called the Adamim Way, the bloody way in Hebrew. It was easy for robbers and bandits and those seeking to do harm to hide. 
And anyone traveling that road alone would be very easy prey for those who would seek to do them harm. And so as Jesus told this story, it was known, this was common. No one should travel that road alone and feel safe. As the man who is given no identity, no credentials, he's of unknown race, unknown religion, unknown social status, we might rightly say from Jesus' teaching that he represents any person and every person. And he represents people from any walk of life and every walk of life. As he's traveling the dangerous road, he indeed was outnumbered by robbers who not only robbed him but took his clothes, beat him, and left him for dead. He was fighting for his life and likely would have died had help not come along. But there's good news in verse 31. Because who, look who happens to be coming down the road. First, it's a Hebrew priest. It's a Jewish priest. One who works in the temple. One whose job it is to proclaim to the people the words of God. And as the priest is coming down the road and he sees the man who's hurting, dying on death's doorstep, surely he's going to stop and help. But instead... He crosses over to the other side of the path and he keeps walking on his way. The next person coming along is a Levite. Just like the priests, the Levites also worked in the temple. They were in charge of more of the behind the scenes kind of work and music and things like that. And when the Levite comes along, he too sees the man injured and dying but chooses to cross over to the other side and to pass by. If we want to put this in terms we can understand today, rather than the priest, think of a pastor, right? Someone whose job it is to proclaim the words of God, to teach from the scripture. Instead of a Levite, think of a music minister. Where'd, where'd Dr. Sims go? Think of a music minister, okay? A pastor and a music minister coming down the road. Surely some of them, some of, someone, one of them is going to take care of this man's needs. But instead, the pastor, the priest, the music minister, the Levite. They pass by on the other side. Before I came to South Tulsa in my previous church, we, we worked a lot with people experiencing homelessness. And if you've ever been in a downtown setting, even here in Tulsa, where you've worked with people experiencing homelessness, when you see folks walking down the sidewalk, and one of those folks dealing with homelessness comes the, down the same way, people will literally jaywalk and cross the street so that they don't have to be on the same side with this person coming towards them. And I remember working with some of our, our folks who were in that situation. And they'd say, just in case you wonder if we notice when people do that, we do. We notice. Even if it's happened to that person a hundred times, they notice when someone intentionally steps to the side, crosses the street, walks by the other way. In Jesus' story, this man is injured. He's on death's doorstep. And it's the priest and the Levite who walk by on the other side. Maybe they were afraid. Maybe they were concerned about him being unclean. Maybe they were simply in a hurry. Jesus gives no reason as to why they passed by. All we know is that the man was in desperate need. And two of the most religious people anyone could think of came along the way with the opportunity to help. And instead of helping, they saw him, and they passed by on the other side. 
You had to feel, though, in the cadence of the story, if you were in the original audience, that another person, another character is going to come into this parable. But when that character is a Samaritan, that first century Judean audience must have thought, uh-oh, now things have gone from bad to worse. A Samaritan coming along because nothing good comes out of Samaria. There's no such thing as a good Samaritan. A Samaritan coming along is only going to mean further harm will come to the man. But the Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. This Samaritan was not like Samaritans were expected to be. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii. He gave them to the innkeeper, and he said, Look after him. When I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. To say that the Jews and the Samaritans in Jesus' day had conflict would be a significant understatement. The deep-seated hatred between the Judeans and the Samaritans was well known by everyone. This was not a surprise. Judeans, like Jesus' people, we actually see examples of this in the New Testament. To avoid even traveling through Samaria, they would take the long way around a much more difficult journey just so they didn't have to set foot in the land of those people. They hated the Samaritans, and in case you wondered, the feeling was mutual. The Samaritans hated them too. And so when Jesus used the Samaritan as the hero in this story, as the one who not only knew the commandments but was living them out, he truly turned the attitudes of his audience and of the lawyer on their head. Not just because he gave an example of someone who did what was right, but because that example came from the place that each and every one of them would thought was absolutely wrong. And it would make no sense that a Samaritan would do right. Have you ever met someone who surprised you because they were different than you expected them to be? You had in your mind a stereotype an idea, a thought, and you thought that's what those people are like, that's what that person is like, but you meet someone who changes the narrative and shifts the direction and, and, and you're surprised in a good way because you see something you didn't know that you would see. I know I've had that experience a lot. Many of you have too. I've heard that personally from many of you who have been a part of serving our Afghan families here in Tulsa for the last couple of years. Several of you who have been working with the Afghans, as so many of our church members have, said, I had never met a Muslim person before. I, I'd maybe been to a, a restaurant and met someone from that background, but I'd never known anyone personally or had that relationship. And you've shared how the hospitality that you've received and the way that you've seen these families love their children and work so hard as they come into this new place fleeing such terrible danger, looking to build a new life, you've, you've been amazed by their resilience and their hard work. And if you've ever had that experience with someone like that, where things change and you see them differently, as a follower of Jesus, don't you also have the feeling that you would love nothing more 
than for that person to experience the love of Christ like you have. You see them as a person. They're no longer nameless. They're no longer just an idea or a stereotype. And now that you know them, and now that that narrative has shifted, you long for them to know the love and the mercy and the grace and the joy of Jesus Christ like you know it. There's a woman named Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. She's from Nigeria. And she gave an amazing TED Talk a few years ago. You can watch this online. Called The Danger of the Single Story. She talks about many of her first experiences coming from Nigeria to the United States. She's actually a very brilliant woman who came here with a lot of academic scholarship opportunities. And so she had her pick of American universities. And she was amazed that even being in those settings with so many educated people, how uneducated people were about where she came from. She's from Lagos, Nigeria, one of the biggest cities in the world. And yet when she met her first college roommate, her roommate asked her, do they have cars where you're from? Do people drive cars? She wrote a paper in one of her classes. And she talked about her African experience in Nigeria. And she had a professor who told her, I'm sure that's accurate for you. But if you're going to write good stories, you need to write these in ways that people expect Africa to be when they read them. She dealt with this in so many different circumstances, and she began to talk about this idea of the single story. When rather than viewing people with complexity, rather than, rather than viewing people as being made in the image of God and having value and their lives mattering, we, we create for ourselves a single story about them and we use that single story to define them. I love her quote from the TED Talk. The single story creates stereotypes. And the problem with stereotypes is not that they are untrue, but that they are incomplete. They make one story become the only story. When you think about that in terms of the way the Judeans saw the Samaritans, and the Samaritans saw them, it's not that there was no truth to their opinions or their stereotypes. There had not only been bad blood between the two groups, there had been violence. And yes, Samaria could have been a very dangerous place to travel through. It's not that what they thought was completely untrue, but Jesus brings to the forefront that it was incomplete. And he says, even a Samaritan has the potential to be a neighbor that person's not only your neighbor who God has commanded you to love, even if you've considered them your enemy or vice versa, vice versa, but even the person you consider your enemy has the ability to be a neighbor under the right circumstances. What better way than through the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ is there to overcome in our own hearts ethnic, racial, religious and nationalistic animosity and malice and fear and hatred. What better tool do we have than the gospel of Jesus Christ living out our love for our Father, living out our love for our neighbor, and with each other to remember that in Christ together, there is no Jew or Gentile. There is no male or female. There is no slave or free. There's not gradations. There's not rankings among us because we are one in Christ Jesus. Don't you love coming to worship and hearing Scripture read in multiple languages? Amen. Knowing that the Lord is at work in, 
in the lives of so many people, and we get to see that. For the Jews and the Samaritans, the animosity was there, but for this lawyer, he had the opportunity with the master teacher, Jesus Christ, Savior and Lord, to have that change of heart. And as Jesus so often did, he brought home the application, not by finishing the parable at the last line of the story, but by following up with a question. And his question to the lawyer was simply what we read in verse 36. Which one of these three, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And if we had any hope that the lawyer was going to have a change of heart towards his neighbor, we're left doubting that that happened. Why? Because look in verse 37, he can't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan. Rather than saying the Samaritan, he says simply, the one who had mercy on him. But just as Jesus had said in the beginning of this discussion, do this and you will live, he says here, he brings this home with a command, go and do likewise. If you really think the one who had mercy on him, the Samaritan, was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers, then don't just say it. Go and do likewise. Loving our neighbor is not just a one-time act, but if we follow in Jesus' commands and if we follow in his steps, it's a lifestyle, it's a commitment, it's a posture, it's the attitude of our hearts. As Martin Luther King Jr. said, on the one hand, we are called to play the Good Samaritan on life's roadside, but that will only be an initial act. One day we must come to see that the whole Jericho Road must be transformed so that men and women will not be constantly beaten and robbed as they make their journey on life's highway. Today, as we think about our lives as a journey, where we've been, where we are, where we're headed. May we hear the words of Jesus. May we see his example. May we take his teaching to heart. And may we walk forward with expectancy, excitement, but with our eyes wide open and our heads looking forward, following him, that we might not miss the opportunities he has for each and every one of us to be his hands and feet and to show his love to a hurting, broken, and dying world. And what better way to close out this Red Letter series, at least for now, than with the question that the lawyer asked Jesus in the first place. What must I do to receive eternal life? How do I receive eternal life? The lawyer's answer was correct, whether or not it came from his heart. To love the Lord your God with every part of your being. To say today with your life as we often sing, I surrender all to him. All of my heart, all of my soul, all of my strength, all of my mind. God has it all. And, and by placing my faith in Jesus Christ, by, by proclaiming the same confession and profession we heard from the baptistry today, that Jesus is Lord, I say to him, Lord, here is my everything. I give it to you. And I surrender all. And when we learn to love God that way and we grow in our love 
for God that way, we also learn and we grow in our love for our neighbor. Do this, Jesus said, and you will live. Go and do likewise. As we walk the road of life together, brothers and sisters, friends, be encouraged. Jesus promised us that though this road is hard, when we follow him it's difficult, we do not walk it alone. He goes with us every step of the way, never leaving us, never forsaking us. So that at the end of that road, as we experience his salvation and we experience life to the full now, that road just leads to eternal life. That's where it ends up. And only by following Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life, do we find our way there. Join me as we pray together today. Lord, there is so much to celebrate today. And we have much to be thankful for. We also know that this is hard teaching that you have given to us, Lord Jesus. But we thank you that with this hard teaching, as with so much of the teaching we read in Scripture, you have modeled for us how to live this out. And I pray simply today that you would help each and every one of us to know the difference between just knowing the commands and living them out, between just saying them or saying amen to them and walking them. And I pray that you would help each and every one of us to take the next step, whatever that looks like, in following you and walking with you. If there's anyone here who has never surrendered their life to you completely, let them see the cross today as the way that you have made that we can be right with you and that we can walk with you in faith. Lord, if there's others who are struggling with bitterness, hanging on to anger, unforgiveness, Lord, I pray that you would just poke holes in those hard hearts that we all tend to have. Help us to see ways, pathways to forgiveness. Help us to learn how to pray for those who persecute us. Help us to change in our minds those narratives that lead us to have hatred and that we would live out the command to love our neighbor. And for the rest of this time we have in worship, Lord, we pray that you would speak to our hearts and lead us forward in obedience. In Jesus' name, amen.